how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 406, where I sit down with director Chris McKay, who's done the Lego Batman movie, The Tomorrow War, and recently Renfield. Nicholas Holt stars as Renfield, and Nicholas Cage plays Dracula in the new film. The description reads, Renfield, Dracula's henchman, an inmate at the lunatic asylum for decades, longs for a life away from the Count, his various demands, and all the bloodshed that comes with it. In this interview, McKay talks about why animation is like making a film in slow motion, why every step in your career is an education, the importance of trusting your gut to the right opportunities, his involvement with Dungeons and Dragons, and when to, quote, jump on the moving train as a filmmaker. If it's your first time here, make sure to hit that subscribe button, and I'm also giving away a copy of my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, based on this podcast and other readings, over at my website at brockswinson.com. That's the free digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Okay, on with the show. The watching movies and reading comic books and graphic novels and, uh, you know, going to Disneyland when I was a kid, things like that really made a big uh, impact on me seeing, uh, you know, probably riding some of the rides at Disneyland. And uh, I remember like the Peter Pan ride and watching the kind of story unfold when uh, if, if you know anything about that ride, you're sort of riding in a pirate ship, flying pirate ship, and you're flying over London and all that stuff. Things like the, the, the that was something that, um, you know, ma made me feel the same emotions that I felt watching, you know, Bambi and other Disney movies. And I think the detail that went into that I was so intrigued by all of the little, um, all the effort that went into creating the the look of London, for instance, when you're flying over and stuff like that. Stuff like those those kinds of things really made a huge impact on me when I was a kid and made me, um, yeah, want to make movies. There was a book um, called Movie Monsters by Alan Ormsby, which detailed uh, the history of. Dracula and Frankenstein and, and, and the invisible man and Wolfman and stuff like that. And, um, and at the back of that book, they had the first half is like a history of these monsters. And then the back half is an explanation of how to do these kinds of makeups for, a, for Halloween if you're a kid. Um, and I think all of the details uh, that went into that really made me fascinated about Made me start thinking about, oh yeah, somebody has to make all of that stuff that I'm seeing in a movie. It was like it was like one of those moments where you're just like very aware of the process of filmmaking and that there's human beings behind the scenes that make all that stuff. And it got me really into wanting to study movies and watch movies differently and that sort of thing. And you know, I, as a kid, I probably read as much about movies as I saw movies because there wasn't. It's not like today where there's like streaming everything or almost everything you get on, 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 on streaming or on Blu-ray or something like that. 
And so I really did a lot of, um, I was obsessed with reading about movies and, and, um, and finding, um, you know, making lists of movies that I hadn't seen that I wanted to see. And so, um, you know, filmmakers like Steven Spielberg and George Lucas making, you know, Star Wars and Raiders and these, these big movies, um, were sort of a gateway drug, uh, into, um, you know, Martin Scorsese or Akira Kurosawa or John Carpenter and Joe Dante, or, you know, uh, you know, they all kind of, you know, James Cameron, um, they all kind of reference, uh, each other's films and other filmmakers, um, that inspired them. And then that made me hungry to go find out about John Ford or Alfred Hitchcock or somebody who's sort of outside my, um, you know, outside what was immediate at, you know, at the movie theater or on cable or whatever. Music videos were also a big thing. Music videos that um, had film references in them. That made me, that really inspired me and made me want to, you know, search out those movies and, 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 you know, have those experiences for myself. Were you always kind of going in the the epic or the blockbuster direction? And like, would you recommend animation as a good place to start? That seems to be kind of your journey. Was that always the, where you are now? Seems like where you were headed naturally. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I think every filmmaker should try to make an animated movie at some point because it is filmmaking in slow motion, and you are there is you are responsible for every single thing that happens in the frame. And yes, that's true when you're on a live action set to a certain extent, but you can't control the weather if you're shooting outside and you can't, you know, certain things you can't um, control or something that happens to fly by happy accidents and all that kind of thing. And there's, you know, there's no real happy accidents when you're making animation. You have to, you're in charge of, you have to make that happy accident happen with all the different departments that you're working with and all the different people, because again, everything's got to be, it's got to be placed in there. It's got to be, you know, in camera, it's got to be rigged to be able to move if you're doing CG or if you're doing stop motion. Um, and I think that that is, a, those are some real valuable lessons in how you can use your environment to tell your story or use all the pieces of your shot scene um, to help tell the story about the character, about the, about the theme, about the, you know, the tonal quality, emotional quality of what you want to have happen there. So that's, um, you know, I think it's really, uh, it's, 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 I think it's a really invaluable lesson. So I'm very, I'm very, you know, pleased that my career kind of went through, you know, I went from doing news pieces and training tapes for doctors and nurses in, in Chicago to doing stop motion animation for a late night cable TV show for, you know, stoned college kids uh, to the Lego movies uh, and then to, you know, Tomorrow War and now Renfield. So it's, it's been a great, it's been every step of the way um, has been a really valuable education and you never know what your path is going to be. Um so you kind of got to trust your gut and just say yes to the things that you feel right that come along, because if your ears are open and your heart's open to it, um, there are a lot of lessons that you can get out of those experiences that then can play into, you know, the things you do later on in your career. If I hadn't gone through that path of doing animation, I wouldn't be able to help with the 
animation team, the VFX team on Tomorrow War, making the aliens have more of a personality and be able to, you know, one of those aliens to have um, a kind of a feral intelligence like wolves and coyotes and communication that they would communi be able to communicate with each other and run plays, be able to sort of direct one guy to go over there and another guy to go over there. So being able to develop, being able to work in, you know, having the opportunity to work in animation, be able to develop some skills that then help me be able to make, you know, those creatures sort of come alive, lift off the screen a little bit more. Um, that I think was, you know, again, it's all, all that stuff kind of, it all adds up. Uh, yeah. Have you, had you tried to move from animation to live action before? Like, was that script for Tomorrowland kind of just a perfect vehicle, like a Venn diagram for you to make that transition? Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was, I'd done robot chicken. I would, had done moral oral. We kind of did those two shows kind of, you know, back to back each season. We did a show called Titan Maximum, which is a giant robot show that was done in stop motion. And then I did the Lego movies and they, you know, uh, th that was the, that was a, you know, that was a, you know, restorative three act structure. Uh, and that kind of prepared me for tomorrow war. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that script kind of came along right at the right time. It was when I was starting to move out of, you know, sort of, I was developing dungeons and dragons. I was developing, um borderlands uh and i was developing something called amulet over at, at fox and then tomorrow war uh happened to you know tomorrow war was like a was was you know it had a, it had a date it had pratt already so it had a cast um and so it was you know it was a moving train that i had to either you know choose to continue developing these other movies or jump on this moving train and so um you know and i was fortunate that you know i got to work with you know, Craig Mazin on Borderlands and and develop a really great script and and with Mike Gillio and Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, you know, we got a really nice script that the that the guys, you know, kind of launched, you know, off of um into the movie that it's about to come out now. Mm -hmm. Um so I would, you know, so I was fortunate to get to work with some of the people I got to work with along the way. But yeah, once Tomorrow War came along, I kind of jumped on that. Uh, because that was you know, you know it, was, uh, it was a great script and i love pratt so um it was you know it felt like the right thing and i got you know it was it was, it was the thing i wanted to do it was like big epic storytelling with an emotional story at its center and so i got to you know i got i got a chance to do that and you know work with a you know massive budget and all that kind of thing so that was a lot of fun and um you know i look forward to doing it doing that again because that was a good time this may be a, a kind of a retrospective question, but how do you think about it? It seems like you're also like taking on greater and greater responsibilities. Do you have any uh, doubts and fears? How do you kind of surpass those to, to take the reins as a leader? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know if I have those anymore. I mean, yes, everything should scare you on some level. I don't believe going into something without a healthy dose of fear um healthy you know a real critical self-assessment of where you are and what this project needs and what your team needs and all that kind of thing that's all really good stuff but i think at a very early age i when i was when i was just graduated college and i was living in chicago and i wanted to get into the film industry i got some you know i got a couple of pa jobs and i tried to get into like a post house because i really liked 
you know, I really like being on set and I like making things, but I also, you know, knew that at least like, you know, if I worked at post house, maybe I'd have, I'd have access post is so expensive. Maybe I'd have access to you know, some post equipment uh, for my own uh, things uh, that maybe I could work on at night or something. It was my dream, I guess, but it was really hard to get into. It was really hard to get into post. Uh, um, every time I, you know, applied for something, it got the door shut. I mean, it, it didn't have an, it either had just too, a little bit too much experience or not enough. Um, and so I started my own uh, post company and that was probably the biggest, scariest thing that I did. I was like 24, 25 years old and I took out a loan and I bought some equipment and I started doing training tapes and music videos and commercials and things like that. And to, you know, uh, so, so, and, and, and since I hadn't gone through any kind of like formal training other than college, like, you know, in the, in the business, I just started just doing it. I've never really, you know, just always just kind of thrown myself into the next challenge, the next thing, because, you know, that was the only way I could make stuff. It was the only way I could do something is the only way I could pay the rent, you mm -hmm. know, was to just go, okay, I'm not getting these jobs. So I'm just going to have to figure out a way to do it on my own. No, no, one's going to give it to you. You got to kind of find a way to make it. So I, so I took a big leap of faith then. And, um, and I guess I've never looked back and I've always said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I didn't know a lot about stop motion when I got into stop motion. I knew I knew a little bit about animation in general, but I didn't know enough about stop motion specifically. But very quickly, I was very fortunate that I worked with a lot of people who were really generous with their knowledge and and you know very open environment. And so I, I learned, and I'm a fast learner. And same with CG. You know, I got in, got went from I, I understood. You know, Chris and Phil. When I sat down to talk to them about the Lego Movie, they were like, "We want to make it look like stop motion." I was like, "Okay, I." I understand stop motion. I can help everybody. We we'd done a bunch of things with Lego on on Robot Chicken, and so I knew, you know, what you I knew what you do in a stop motion context for how you'd create something in Lego. So I knew that I could help the animators and the rest of the team kind of think through how we were going to rig, you know, how you're still going to get the same kind of motion that you need to get because Lego minifigs, you know, go like this, and you're going to sometimes need somebody to reach and grab something or. You know, we, I knew I knew what we'd done on set to sort of affect those things, and just brought that uh, brought some of those skills uh, and experience to the animators in Sydney when we were working on a Lego Movie. So um, I've always been kind of a fast learner, and just I, I I I like having challenges. I think that's I you know I don't mind being scared. I don't mind kind of going into um, you know something that could feel like a sink or swim situation because it's. I don't know. I think that's how you learn and that's how you grow and it's how you get to be, you know, better at what you're doing. And so, yeah, I, uh, taking on big, uh, big, crazy things is sort of, I think my brand, I think at this point. Tell me about your, your latest projects. So you mentioned uh, an interest in movie monsters or so going back to Dracula, also comic books. This comes from Robert Kirkman, I think originally, how did you first get involved with this project? Yeah, they um they showed me a script uh, that Ryan Ridley had written, uh, and it was I thought it was really funny, and I thought it was really clever way to do a Dracula movie. It felt like and you know we've seen umpteen different versions of Dracula that are kind of you know even if it's the origin story version or whatever you've kind of seen, you know you've kind of seen a lot of Dracula stuff, and this was a fun way, I, you know, a cockeyed way of telling a Dracula story cockeyed way of, of using that you know that world and that universe going through the 
you know, the character of Renfield, the the, the henchman, the the servant, um, telling talk, a story that's about, uh, you know, a toxic bosses, bad bosses, and and the codependent people that work for them. Um, I, that seemed like a really fun uh, way to do that movie. Something that's 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 uh, could bo- be both funny and scary, and have a lot of action in it. Um, and to try to do it for a budget and try to do it practically, I really wanted to do a lot of practical effects, as many practical effects as I could, um, given the budget and time. So, um, that seemed like, uh, it seemed like just a lot of fun and, and, um, you know, Ridley's, you know, uh, Ryan Ridley's, uh, script and Kirkman's treatment, um, were things I was exposed to in the initial sort of like, you know, auditioning process that I was auditioning for the movie. And, uh, uh, just seemed like a lot of fun uh, world to play in. And so I was really happy. I mean, I, I want to try to do as many original things as I possibly can. There's enough stuff out there that's like, you know, driven by, you know, sequels and IP and stuff like that. Not that Dracula isn't an IP, but at least it was like a different way into this world and felt like something kind of fun and, you know, different than other stuff I was reading. When you are working with something where there is some IP or some expectations, um, how important, I mean, is it just like certain tentpole things that need to happen in a script or how do you kind of think about that when you're thinking about the audience coming in with certain expectations? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Dungeons and Dragons um, when when I was working on that was I was trying to treat it just like a heist movie because I didn't want you to, I didn't want an audience, you know, I, ultimately what I wanted a trailer, uh, you know, to feel like, uh, to feel like it was like a fun heist movie with uh you know crazy characters that were easily gettable in the way that like when you watch an oceans 11 trailer or something like that you get okay that's this guy's job this guy's got a role it's this they're all going to come together and you know try to you know thwart the bad guy um and i so i wanted there to be i wanted it from an audience standpoint i wanted the, i didn't want people to feel like they need to do homework before they saw the movie, I think there's kind of a barrier for some of those things where people feel like, do I need to have played the game? Do I need to have read, you know, the Lord of the Rings to watch, you know, Peter Jackson's movies, things like that. Like, do I need to know that? Or is there, is this, a, is, is there, is there an easy way in? And I at least wanted there, I wanted, you know, I'm always like, you know, the stuff I do, you know, Lego Batman's an example, like where it's like, I want there to be, you know, stuff for people who are obsessives and fans and Easter eggs and, and callbacks. And I also want there to be stuff for people who are casual, uh, you know, and who are just there to watch a, watch a, you know, movie and get, you know, have some laughs and, 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 you know, have an emotional experience and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I, uh, so I, I'm always trying, I think of the, you know, for me, I always think of the audience first, like what's their, what is, you know, what is their way into a movie like this? And the, and, and for like for Dungeons and Dragons, it was just to boil it down to, you know, uh, heist movie, make it a heist, make it a heist movie. And these are just, it's, this is no different than oceans 11 and Vegas, except it's just set in the past. Right. And that's it. How much does a, a script like Renfield change once like Nicholas Cage gets involved? I feel like everyone has an opinion about Nicholas Cage, whatever that may be. He's so well known for so many different things. Does it shift a little bit for him or, or does he lean into what's there? What was your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a really great, uh, besides being a really, really great actor, he's a really great partner. And he, you know, I, I mean, I'm de- def- definitely he had like um, a, a very funny line 
uh, and word changes, almost like words that sort of like sounded older or sounded more haughty um, that he wanted to, you know, a lot of times it was like, just, I want to replace this word with this other word that sounds a little more uh, pretentious or, you know, something like that, a little privileged. And um, that was, the, the, those were the kinds of changes he came in. He never really came in with anything where it's like, broad sweeping stuff it was always really thoughtful mm. analysis of you know a moment in the scene a line in the scene uh, uh um yeah he was you know like you i don't you know i you know i sort of know these people through movies right like i never had it's not like i go to parties and hang out with nick cage you know it's like i've seen his movies and fell in love with him through the movies and uh, you know, YouTube clips of him, you know, coming on to talk shows and kicking and in, uh, in the air and throwing money around and, you know, stuff like that, like stuff that was really endearing. And, and uh, you know, he's but he, as a human being, he is that joyful. He is that vulnerable. He is always trying to have fun and always trying to, you know, he is he has got a wicked uh, sense of humor. Um, he's really smart and he's very engaging. He's got incredible chemistry. He's always, you know, he's able to make chemistry with everyone in the room. He's a real movie star. You know, he's like a movie star. Um, he's got chemistry with the camera and he, um, it is, you know, he is, he is, it's in, it makes me appreciate how you can use a movie star charisma to, really um go deep into a character like if you just watch cage's eyes and watch what he's doing and he can show you things about this character when he when renfield when when renfield sort of betrays him and uh there's just this moment where you know cage is basically offering him you can come and you know go with me and and you know you'll be a god in 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 the world and you don't you know you don't in renfield you know says no and cage just has this this really deep hurt in his eyes but it's underplayed and it's just so good and we cut to this one moment where he just has this look and you can just tell like he's just hurt it's really uh it's really incredible somebody who's that who's that sensitive and in a movie that's mostly meant to be funny and or you know actiony and scary and all that kind of thing like it's to have that kind of drama, you know, it's just, it's really great. It's really great to have. And again, with, with Holt the same way, somebody who's able to be incredibly vulnerable um, and, and puts themselves out there and, and, and has, and can just with a flick of a, a look can tell you a million things that are going on behind their eyes. Like that's, it's, that makes, it just helps the movie lift off the screen. Um, and that, that's, a, that's really important to me and being able to work with people like that. It's very, very lucky. Do you have any advice for um, maybe first time directors or one of their first films talking to like stars like that, working with them? Is it always that you find a, a North star within the screenplay you're going for, like anything to lower intimidation or equal out on the, on the on set and that type of thing? I mean, I mean, I, you know, I think it is finding something that you, you know, a touchstone, you know, for, I brought up an image from the red shoes early on with cage, as far as like, this is how big we can go, or this is how expressive I want something to be. And, you know, he, he immediately gravitated towards, towards that. Like that was 
So that was useful in our dialogue, showing him animatics and and storyboards, you know, um, that that we had put together to kind of you know with some music and and to get show show kind of that tone of the piece. I think that stuff is really useful if you've got a minute to put some storyboards together and a little and read some of the dialogue into a microphone and cut it together and put some music on it and some sound effects to just get across the what the tone of the finished product is going to be. I find that to be really helpful. That's why I've done that in all the, you know, did that in Tomorrow War, did that in Renfield. Just helps people understand what you're what you're trying to shoot for and also helps you understand what the pitfalls are in the material too. So you can sort of, you know, help kind of fit, you know, get a sort of a pre-look at how your edit's going to work. Um, you can start to see like, oh yeah, maybe we don't need these lines or maybe we need more explanation here and that sort of thing. Um, and I think just, I mean, I think you got to speak from your heart, you know, at the end of the day, every, you know, they're all human beings and you got to kind of talk from your, you know, from your, you know, I think it always helps to talk from your own personal experience. Talk about things like it's not about some abstract concept, but about something that happened to you, something that you felt, something you felt in a relationship. It's like this. This happened to me with my boss. This happened to me with my, you know, girlfriend, you know, that kind of thing. I think those, I think real stories help you create a relationship with somebody and also maybe get, you know, start a dialogue about an idea. Um, and then for Cage also too, uh, it's reference points for other movies, talking about things like, you know, Anne Bancroft and The Graduate or something like that and having him you know, sort of respond to an idea of a scene, you know, via some, you know, touchstone, some mutual touchstone that we have from some old movie. So, yeah. You've got a couple um, other upcoming credits listed. I don't know how accurate IMDb is, but uh, Nightwing and, and Johnny Quest. When you come on to some of these things, how are you kind of working to put your own spin on something where there is IP? What things are you maybe doing to... If you look back in, in years from now, you kind of see a through line of like, this is my style of work. Yeah. Well, I mean, for Nightwing, you know, I just I, that's something that, you know, the character of Dick Grayson, that's something that's been important to me, you know, my, my whole life. I mean, Batman and, you know, Robin were like my, you know, it was from a kid, when I was a kid, you know, that was the stuff I really latched on to. And then as, you know, as Robin became Nightwing, I mean, I I followed that evolution in the, in the comics. And so that was, um, you know, that was really, you know, that, that would have, you know, ho hopefully that still happens, but that's like, you know, part of that would just be like a love letter to that character and that story. Um, and trying to find a way to make, you know, something that's never been done in, you know, for some reason people are really allergic to Robin in those movies. It's only been done in the Joel Schumacher movies. So, um, and I thought we had a really good take on, you know, something that would sort of you know, have connection to um, some of the comic stories, but also kind of be its own thing for the movies that then you could kind of branch off. And because it would, it would have been, you know, kind of like an origin story. Um, uh, and then you could have gone into other, other, you know, straight up stories from the comics and that kind of thing. But um, I'm still hoping that happens. So I'm probably being a little cagey about uh, describing everything, but I've been, but, you know, um, and Johnny quest, you know, um, I just wanted, you know, I loved uh, the style of that thing. I always thought that style was kind of like a really cool, um, you know, it's kind of like retro future kind of thing. And so um, part of it was about the style, you know, I, I was really, 
um, influenced by The Incredibles on that movie. And I really wanted to make something like The Incredibles, like a live action version of The Incredibles. Um, something that's maybe like a, you know, it's it's an all audience movie, but it's still got some, you know, like it's always for me, it's the action's always going to be a little hard hitting and kind of brutal at times. I want it to be really, I don't want it to be kiddie action. I want it to be real action. Even if it's, even if kids are involved, I want it to feel like it's, you know, you're watching Raiders or you're watching, you know, uh, maybe not quite John Wick, but like, you know, maybe a step down from John Wick it should, it should feel like something, you know, something bad can happen at any time. Somebody can actually get hurt. So that was, so there was a, so that was a tone um, that I wanted to develop for that. And, and, and in, in the way that I felt like, you know, Incredibles puts a lot of, puts those characters in a lot of jeopardy. You know, I think there's, you know, there's real machine guns, you know, it's a, for a Pixar movie, you know, they've got, you know, they're firing machine guns at kids, you know, it's like they, uh, they made, they made it work. And so I thought that that was the, uh, you know, I think that, I think that there is something to Johnny quest that could be uh, a really great movie could be made out of that story. I think you have to make it more modern, obviously you have to modernize it, but um, uh, yeah, I think that's, there's something there still but so i kind of approach it sort of like trying to approach it like you'd be you know, you're trying to make a live action version of the incredibles thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift i'm giving you my first book ink by the barrel for free that's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com inside this book you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing elizabeth gilbert's playful trickster mentality learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach and learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.